Today's guest is a relationship and confidence coach for women, helping them reinvent themselves and the relationships they attract by going deep into where they lost control. She works one-to-one and has an eight-week program called How to Have Him Fall in Love with You Every Day and Commit to a Higher Level, as well as a private Facebook group, Queen of Hearts for Successful Women, ready to find love and commitment without wasting time on the wrong men. A word of warning. My guest story contains descriptions of some pretty intense violence and is not suitable for children. If you are still recovering from past violent trauma of your own, this may not be the episode for you to listen to. I will also tell you that my own takeaway from this conversation is one of inspiration, resilience, and deep internal strength. Let's get to it. My guest is Nadine Montahami. I'm Aidan Nipom, and this is The Changed Podcast. Nadine, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Well, in honor of you uh, supporting women and their relationships, I thought I would uh, drink my tea from my Wonder oh, Woman that's mug. Perfect. <laughs> She's one of the strongest women I know. She's a big hero for me. Since I was a little girl, I've had a few really powerful female heroes, and she's at the top of my list. Mm-hmm. So that's in your honor. And <laughs> so. I'm super curious. Here's what I'm super curious about is, you know, some people find this idea of change, which is what we're talking about today, these ideas of these Mm -hmm. pivotal moments of change. Um, Some people find the idea of change to be disturbing, upsetting, scary, hard, painful. Some people get really excited about making big changes. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people change because something happened. Some people are like, you know, so the stories that I, that I've been getting, they're all, they're, you know, they're all different. They're all unique. But when I ask this question, what's one pivotal moment of change, people immediately think of a specific story. And um, so I'm curious, generally speaking, when you think of the word change, what are your feelings about that word? Uh, my feelings now if I hear the word change, I get quite excited about it because I know along with change comes, um, uh, usually on the other side of fear, as they say, is everything that we're looking for. And change is the one thing that brings up. So I usually get excited. In the past, change would frighten the life out of me and I never wanted it. I, I love the way you phrased that. On the other side of fear is, will you say that again, please? On the other side of fear is everything that you're looking for. Oh, that's great. I really love that. That's excellent. <laughs> so now you're, you're of the mindset where you're like, yes, change is exciting, is good, Absolutely. brings good things. Mm-hmm. But there was a time in your life where that was definitely not the case. No. And I was having a conversation with a colleague recently, and um, he was like, what are you talking about when you're talking about change? Do you mean like changing the furniture in the house? Or do you mean changing your hairstyle? Do you mean making big sweeping career changes? And I said, yes. Um, When you think of change, do you think of like the things that come to mind? Do you think of big changes or small changes first? Um, I think big changes. When I think about change, it's usually a big change because the small changes are things that I do almost on a daily basis. Yeah. Well, you, I mean, you're helping women make big changes in their own Mm -hmm. lives. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Yeah, so um, I started off with uh, my confidence coaching and relationship coaching um, probably about five years ago, I think now, um, after I'd worked on myself. Mm-hmm. So um, through the confidence and the relationships, um, people get stuck at a, at a position where maybe something from the past hinders them from from finding the person that they're supposed to be with and they keep holding on to the same cycles and the same cycles are not getting them to where they need to be so um, along with confidence comes the ability to push through fear to end up at the end result which is to be in better relationships no matter what those relationships are that sounds amazing I could have really used your assistance in my 20s (laughs) 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 I probably wouldn't have been able to help you then (laughs) because I'll have been around about the same age and I was no good (laughs) (laughs) I do find that people really get attached to certain patterns of behavior uh, thoughts feelings um, all those patterns they're just not helpful but we stick with them because they're familiar Um, what do you find is one of the big obstacles um, for your clients in making big changes um I think the fear of of getting it wrong again. So whenever I I tell them that they need to be able to change from the inside so that they can then change the outside, um, they become very fearful of that. And that's usually, um, it's a a mixture of um, ego. They don't want to have to say that, well, I need to change. Um, I mean, I've had ladies say to me, well, why do I have to change? Why can't they change? But that's the point. It's because of the way that you are that you're attracting the people that shouldn't be getting attracted to you so it starts from the inside and I think I think they get very scared in case they get it wrong Mm. but you can never really get something wrong when you're already living in the wrong place Hmm. um wow yeah that makes a lot of sense to me so what what inspired you to do the work that you do um well it was actually my past um which is uh, a relationship that I had coming from Iran. I was, I, I was born in Iran um, to a Persian father and an English mother. And um, when I was 10 years old, the war had broken out in Iran and my mum mm-hmm. said, okay, I'm taking the children to England. So we came and lived in England. Um, I was a 10 year old child. By the time I'd got to secondary school here, um, I was getting bullied and I was picked on, you're fat, you're ugly. Um, and I held on to those words and mm. I took them throughout life with me. So when I went into relationships as I got older, um, I never really chose the right relationship. And I was constantly looking for someone to accept me. So I didn't like rejection. And in fact, I was very frightened of rejection. Mm. Um, and it would make me feel so bad that then I hated myself and I didn't ever want to feel like that. So I would hold on to the wrong people. But it was actually a relationship that I got in that was very abusive, um, probably about eight years ago. And it was that abusive relationship that made me take a step back and say, well, like, I, I'm, I'm either not going to survive the rest of my life or I need to change the rest of my life. So I took wow. Um, and so, And so I think it would be interesting to hear your story because I, your story is related, isn't it? It is. It is. That's the whole reason I got into helping women. I would love for you, if you're ready. Mm-hmm. Share this pivotal moment of change story. A word of warning. My guest story contains descriptions of some pretty intense violence and is not suitable for children. 
about eight years ago, uh, I had met a, a guy on the internet, actually, through um, a, a website. And he had started talking to me. He had no photographs on there. And when I questioned him about the photographs, he said that he would send me one. But he sent me a photograph that was very dark and I really couldn't see anything. But we carried on having a conversation and he would ask me more and more questions about what I was looking for, the type of band that I wanted. And I was quite open and I gave it all. He then, um, over a period of time before we met, he would message me over and over with all the things that he knew I was looking for. So it was very easy because I was projecting this needy kind of woman um, uh, that he was able to to kind of like um, hoax me into, well, coax me into meeting him. So I did. I came to London. I lived in uh, in a different town then, so it was about 300 miles away. So I came to London and I met him. And although he wasn't really my type, I thought um, his personality and who he was was amazing. He, was, he would say all the right things, do all the right things. So we met and eventually we got into a relationship. He came up to um, my hometown, which was Barrow and Furnace. He came up there and uh, he would come up there regularly and stay. And um, he was there one weekend and my children... Uh, were at their at their father's house so he came and stayed this one weekend but during that weekend he was um he would he was drinking and he was smoking and he was just getting more and more drunk and I'd noticed that as he as he got more drunk and he was texting his ex-girlfriend I believe um and I questioned him about it and he said that it was about his daughter and and then he threw a plate for no reason he just threw a plate across the room and he told me to shut up and get out of his face so instead of me saying no wait a minute you're in my house you need to leave now I just stepped back and I just froze and went into like this little mouse of a woman so I started to pick everything up and I said to him it's okay it's okay it's fine and I was backing down to him constantly on the inside of me, I knew that there was, there was something there in my head that kept saying, why are you doing this? But I was very scared of what reaction I might get as well. Mm. Plus, I didn't want him to walk out and then that was it, another failed relationship. So um, a couple of days later, he then got angry again and he was, he was drinking and he was texting and he had, I had a dog at the time and he picked up my dog. She was only small. He picked up my dog came into the the lounge where I was sitting. He was in the kitchen and he said he was going to cut her ears off. (gasps) No. So I know. So you can imagine this is, you know, she was a part of my family. Um, So I grabbed, I grabbed my dog really quickly and I just held her and I said seven words. And those seven words are the things that changed my life basically forever. And I said to him, why are you being such a bastard? (laughs) And I don't know what made him flip in his head, but he grabbed the dog, threw her on the side, grabbed me by my hair, and he dragged me to the front door, locked the front door, and then started to drag me up the stairs with my hair. So he's got my hair like this. He's dragging me up the stairs. Um, He got me into my bedroom. He took all, he took the phones, he locked the bedroom, he, he locked all the doors and everything in the house. He had a knife with him. So he he pushed me down on the bed 
and he started to just rip off whatever clothes I was wearing my t-shirts and and he was he I think I had pajamas on actually and he ripped everything off and my heart was pounding thinking I I don't actually know what he's going to do like I was crying stop stop why why are you doing this um his eyes just seemed to go like red like he was so angry um he then held the knife up against my um my face and he said to me that he was going to um, burn my house down, but he was going to cut my eyelids off first so that I could watch it happen. Oh, my God. He didn't, so it's okay. Well, you look like you have your eyelids. <laughs> it's just terrifying. I still have them. Um, so he, so he, he, he wore me down in the beginning by the, the whole fear. Like, I, I didn't even know what he was going to do. This, this man was going crazy. And... Um, he basically that lasted for eight hours but during that eight hours he repeatedly punched me over and over and he kept saying do you know what a bastard is a bastard is someone that doesn't have a dad I had a dad and listen whatever issues he was going through he took them out on me that night and he beat me just constantly didn't touch my face now, the reason why I know he didn't touch my face was because it was all calculated in his head. He knew what he was going to do. Had he have touched my face, people would have seen it and that would have just backfired on him. So he didn't. So it was my entire body. But I was black and blue and he was lighting up cigarettes and he kept putting them out on my body. He was just putting cigarettes out. So I was screaming, crying. I was trying to punch him back. But he was, although he was a very slender build, he was a cage fighter. So he had me on a lockdown on the bed where I couldn't actually move. And then he put his knees over my arms so that I couldn't even punch him anymore. Um, He carried on burning me with cigarettes and we heard a beep outside the house. And then I heard a knock at the door. And I was thinking, okay, this, this, this is like he's going to stop. So he made me open my bedroom window and he had the knife against me at at the back of me. And he said, you tell her to go away. And it was actually my friend who had come to to see if I was in. So she's shouting from her car, why are you not opening the door? And I said, no, 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 I'm I'm tired. I'm going to go to sleep. And I'm looking at her like, like, like do something. And I can't say the words because, you know, um, he had a knife right up against my, my back. So she got a little bit confused, didn't really know what was going on. And she said, okay, fine. So she got in the car and she drove off. Uh, the, the, the funny thing is that I lived next door, but one to two police officers as well. So I lived in an area where I, I could have been protected, but nobody knew. Um, so he then shut the window and he said that if anyone comes back again, or if she comes back, or if the police come, then he is going to stab me and I will die. So I kept my mouth shut. Then he carried on hitting me and hitting me, kept telling me I was ugly. He was going to cut my belly off. He was going to cut into my face to cut the ugly out of me. Um, And the more he went on, the more powerful he seemed to get. The more powerful he got, the happier he seemed to get. So he started laughing while he was doing it. And then he held my right eye open. And he put a cigarette out in my right eye. <gasps> I have no idea how I'm not blind, but I'm not blind. But he put a cigarette out in my right eye. So my, my eye was, it didn't swell up, but it was completely full of water. I mean, it was, it was burnt. 
you know he'd taken that top that top layer off so um he then uh I I begged him to stop I was begging him and then I gave up I completely gave up I just laid there and I thought if you're gonna do it just do it I it was eight hours eight hours of just being constantly hit beaten slapped burnt with cigarettes you know he was I had a knife you put the knife up against my um, my neck and just pierced in slightly didn't actually go in but pierced in which I really did think he was gonna definitely kill me then so he um and then after eight hours his phone rang and that was the end of it whoever it was on the other side of the phone said to him because I heard because he he was on top of me and he said I'm gonna kill this bitch and whoever it was that was on the other side of the phone basically saved my life because they said, I think they were saying, you know, she's not worth it. Don't do this, whatever it was. So when he hung up on the phone, um, he just sat back. He looked at me and I was just, I had tears rolling down my face and I was just lying there covered in blood and burns and, you know, and I was aching. Like my entire body was so, I, I was just limp. And he said, well, you know, I love you because I didn't kill you. And it was, it was in that moment, it was in that moment right there that I realized I actually had more power than he ever did. What happened was he needed me. He needed to feed off me. He needed his, um, his validation as a man or whatever you want to call it. He needed to be able to feed off me. So for every punch and for every laugh that he gave and for every, that was what he needed. He was feeding off me, but I actually never needed him, not for anything. And that's when I realized that I was a lot more powerful than he would ever be because he would constantly be looking for someone or something that would make him feel bigger. And I never needed that. And that was the moment I had the aha moment while I'm lying on my bed, bloody and bruised and battered and burned. And that was the moment that I just thought, I've got more power than I actually knew. I mean, he's left me with a lot of scars. There's, he burst a lot of uh, blood vessels in my legs, which have now rose to the surface and you can't really get rid of them. So there's a reminder, but I think because I realized in that aha moment that I had to do something about this and I had to go and find a way of becoming the woman that I should have been. Um, I've just got to the point where I actually don't look at them and feel anything anymore. Wow. Um, thank you for My pleasure. sharing that. That is a wild story. Uh -huh. Um, I have a couple of questions. Did he ever, did you ever press charges or was mm. he ever arrested? Do you know so, what happened to him? Um, although I got to that aha moment and I knew that was very powerful. I was also a mother and I didn't want my children being afraid of, of being in the house or me being in the house or possibly meeting anyone else. So I did go next door, but one to the two police officers and I did tell her, um, and she said to me, if I didn't want to press charges because she wanted me to, but I said, I don't, I don't want my children to know. So I put it on record with the police in the UK 
Um, and they then sent uh, photographs and, and everything out as an alert to all of the train stations and uh, bus drivers, taxi drivers, everything. They, they sent an alert out so that if he ever came back and anyone saw him, he would be arrested and he would be prosecuted by the police. So I didn't do it in the beginning. But then two years later, was it two? Yeah, two years later, I think it was, or three years later, um, I just opened up a, a small business in my hometown. And my father had um, passed away. And I put it on WhatsApp. And I didn't realize that he'd still got my number. And uh, he saw it on WhatsApp and he messaged mm. and he said, I'm so sorry about your dad. You know, please forgive me. I should never have done what I did. And I said to him, listen, I, I don't want to know. You Don't message me again. Like I, and, but I did become quite fearful. And um, over the next two weeks, he got quite aggressive and started to say that he had a gun. He was going to come to, to my hometown and shoot me, shoot my family. And if I didn't give him any money. So that was when the police were called and I went in and I pressed charges. But the police in London did eventually find him because apparently he was living on the street by then. So they did eventually find him, but they said that they didn't have enough uh, information and they needed the body cams from my police in my hometown to be sent to them in London. So they released him and they told him to come back in 28 days and he never went back. So... I don't really know what happened to him. So he's out in the world somewhere. It's what it sounds like. Possibly. I know that someone did say that he was extremely ill at one point. So I don't know. Mm. So, um, how, so how does the, that's a big epiphany that you had previously been looking for um, someone to tell you that you were okay. And then yes. you literally attracted the opposite and then had this epiphany that actually that wasn't what you needed. So the question is, what did you need? What did you end um, up giving yourself? So I realized that I, I had no love for myself. I had no love for myself at all. I'd held on to the words of an 11-year-old boy at school that had told me that I was fat and ugly and not worth anything. And I got a phone call from a friend in California, and he said to me that he'd been on a program, uh, a four-day program, an intense program, and they were doing it in London, and I need to go. So I, at the, at the time, I had no money. I didn't know how I was going to do this, but... I did raise the money and I came to London and I did the four day course. And during that four days, the first three days, I didn't understand a word of it. I had no idea what was going on because I didn't actually know who I was. Um, and on the fourth day, on the fourth day, something clicked inside me that said that actually the only reason that you're doing what you do and you go after the people that you go after or you attract the people that you attract is because you don't love yourself. You're looking for a validation from the entire world, but you can't validate yourself. And once I realized that and I started to work on that, um, I started to see a whole new woman. It was like I all of a sudden went from the ugly duckling into this like super confident woman that not just loves herself but actually will wake up 
<laughs> as vain as it sounds, I will wake up in the morning, look inside that mirror that's behind me. And I usually stand there doing all of this going, oh God, you look so good when you wake up. <laughs> and it's, and, and I can't, and I'll do that even when I'm out of the shower and I'm standing there and I'm not, a, I'm not a small girl. You know, I'm a, I'm a round woman. I'm a curvy woman. And I don't see it as fat anymore. I see it as, 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 as exciting and voluptuous and everything that should be. Um, working on the inside of me is something that, that, that I needed more than anything from the outside world. And once I did that, the right things became attracted to me and everything that was not right, I was repelling. That's um, that's stunning. I and I find that that's very true for uh, lots of different areas of people's lives. Um, my um, my other podcast is uh, is called Positive Impact. I co-host that with a good friend of mine who um, is trying to lose more than two hundred and fifty pounds of herself, and um, you know she's got all these ideas about. Um, how to try and game her brain to stop self-sabotaging. And I've been of the mind that the secret to her success would be to just accept and love and appreciate herself as she is. uh, I mean, I don't know what the sizes are like in America, but in the UK, I was... (laughs) I don't either, if I'm honest. (laughs) There's no, there's no two clothing. Yeah. There's like, you go shopping and uh, exactly. you'd be one size somewhere and then you'd be a completely different size. <laughs> I, I've given up. I don't. I mean, over here at, at, at one point I was, I was, um, I was comfort eating. So I became bigger and bigger and bigger. And I was actually a size, uh, almost a size yeah. 30 in the UK. Um, that that's a lot. And I'm five foot three. So I believed at that point that if I lost all the weight and became really slim, this was before I met the guy that abused me. I believe yeah. that if I lost all the weight and became really slim, yeah. then that would be the answer to all my prayers and everyone would love me. So I did. It, it took me seven months right. and I worked out seven days in the gym for three hours a day and I never missed a day. And I cut my calories. It was ridiculous. I cut oh. my calories so far down, but I dropped, I don't know what it is in pounds, but it was nearly 11 stone. And I dropped from a size almost 30 to a size 14 in seven months. And I looked amazing. But I kept going out. I had all of this, what I thought was a newfound confidence, but it was a fake confidence. And I would go out and I'd still stand there and I'd be, you know, looking around. Am I accepted? Do I look okay? I was constantly looking in the mirror going, oh my God, I think I'm going to have to go and do an extra hour in the gym tomorrow. I was weighing myself constantly and I believed that my confidence was there, but actually it wasn't. I was still looking for validation and validation from the outside world is not needed. Now, like I say, I've put the weight on. I actually prefer the way that I look, you know? Yeah, I have this theory that there is no such thing as external validation, not really, because um, not that people Mm. don't say validating things or feel validating feelings about you, but that if you don't have some sense of inner peace, love and acceptance with yourself, that you Mm. won't ever be able to hear those things anyway. So if somebody tells you they love and appreciate you, Mm. you don't believe them. So that's my, that's my personal belief that you've got, you've got to have that inner validation Mm -hmm. to get external validation. But by the time 
you, you don't care about validation. External. Exactly. Need the external you don't care. validation anyway. <laughs> exactly. It's just icing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's been my theory. Do you do you work solely with women around relationship stuff, or do you also work um, in terms of confidence coaching around some yes. of these so other things around body acceptance or exactly. facial <laughs> symmetry acceptance? Or, you know, like, <laughs> I'm telling you, you know, women are, men do this too, but I guess being a human being on the planet, there's so many things to nitpick about oneself that you could just spend all day doing it. It seems like a waste of time. Have you ever seen a face that's very, very symmetrical, the same as one side on the other? Um, I only, um, I read a study a few years ago that was like, this is this desirable thing. It's why supermodels are so successful as they are the closest to symmetrical. But if you actually take and flip a, mm-hmm. one side of a face and put it on the other side of the face, it's super disturbing. It's really bad. It's awful. So I yeah. don't, I would not want to be symmetrical. <laughs> I quite like having this, you know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no 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 I do I work I work um um relationships are, are a, a special like a my speciality um confidence is the main thing mm. that goes with the relationships and everything else so anything from um self-image to uh self-love whether or not you want to get more confidence in your abilities so that you can then go for a a better career or you want to climb the corporate rather, whatever it is. So confidence as a whole is Mm -hmm. what I, I um, work with, but it is, it is women that do it. That's lovely. Um, Well, I, um, so you had this big profound change, but I imagine there've been other smaller changes as you've gone along the way. Yeah. Do you have any sense of what might be next? Like what might be the next change on the horizon for you? <laughs> uh, the next change on the horizon. I think as I'm becoming more um, evolved in myself and more involved with other women, um, I think the changes that are going to happen are that I'm going to start traveling the world and being up on a stage. Um, I want that kind of change where it's not necessarily a change. Well, it will be a change for me, but I want it predominantly to be a change for millions of women all around the world so that I'm not just coaching one-to-one, but I'm actually hitting huge audiences. I want every woman in the world to um, wear that crown with pride. You know, I want her to, I don't want any woman to be, silently suffering so um I think the changes like I say as I'm as I'm kind of evolving myself and growing more and more into certain aspects of things um then I'm becoming a lot more open to change the world that's exciting well Nadine if I'm still saying that reasonably close to how you, you actually are say My, I have I have three brothers in America that call me Nadine, so they do. So I could have gotten away with it. But I really, I'm a big fan of making a decent, honest attempt at trying to say someone's <laughs> name because my name being Aiden, it's a little people struggle not as much anymore. It's a popular name now, but when I was a kid, they struggled. So I try <laughs> to be respectful. Yeah, um, Nadine, Nadine, yeah. I really appreciate you coming and sharing this story. Um, 
and I wish you the best. I think if you can instill confidence in every woman in the world, I think that would be a, a lovely accomplishment. And um, <laughs> selfishly, for my friend's benefit, I would love for her to feel that confidence. So I hope that she uh, is one of those women. <laughs> Every woman has it in her. She just needs to find that inner power. She just needs to step into it. That's all. So the best way to find you, is it to join the Facebook group? Yeah, they can either join the Facebook group. And I'm not opposed to women just uh, adding me on Facebook as well. Um, it is a private group as well. So there's, no, there's only women in there. So you can feel very safe about what you do and what you say. That's wonderful. Well, um, thank you so much for being here. And I hope you have a rest of your, uh, I hope the rest of your evening is fantastic. Thank you so much for having me again. It's been lovely. It seems to me that for a lot of folks, self-love and appreciation is harder to find than self-deprecation. What is it about the human experience that causes us to inflict so much pain and suffering on ourselves? I wonder if it's about some twisted sense of self-preservation, you know, an attempt to mitigate disappointment or pain when the external appreciation we so seek seems to not be there for us. Perhaps bullying ourselves is a way of trying to control the narrative by saying, you can't reject me because I've already rejected myself. We know that the neuroscience of rejection is similar to the neuroscience of physical pain. We literally feel hurt when people whose opinions we value turn their back on us. Psychologists theorize that early in our evolution, being ostracized by a community meant certain death. So, of course, we watch for and seek approval externally from those we interact with on a daily basis. We're wired to look to the community for that. It's ourselves that we interact with most of all. And if we can't accept and love ourselves, how can we expect others to do so? I've often said to people I care about who are in a dark place of self-flagellation, you wouldn't allow someone to talk to your loved ones like that. I love you, and you don't deserve to be talked to like that either. Nadine's story is shocking. Nobody in the world deserves that kind of wake-up call. I don't care how low your self-esteem is, my God. Nor, if you have experienced that kind of trauma, is it fair to say that you manifested that kind of horror in your life? My takeaway from this conversation, however, is how very important it is to do the work to build the relationship with yourself that you crave. Besides, nobody knows better the kind of loving and encouraging words that you need from moment to moment better than you do. While it's true that there are billions of people out there, some of them more accomplished than you, some less, some who fit the standard of physical beauty put forth by the media more than you, and some less. You, and this will come as no surprise to you, you are the only you you know, and that means that you are poised to make the greatest difference in your life. I will leave you with this quote from Coco Chanel, beauty begins the moment you decide to be yourself. If you would like to connect with Nadine Mantahami, you can reach out to her on Facebook and request to join her private Facebook group, Queen of Hearts, for successful women ready to find love and commitment without wasting time on the wrong men. Visit us anytime, www.thechangedpodcast.com. And please be sure to like, subscribe, and rate this podcast wherever you're enjoying this content. If you like this episode, please share it with a friend. Thank you for listening. I'm Aiden Nepom, and I wish you the kind of moments in life that you're excited to tell stories about. 